this time three years ago, we were in day five of a massive government shutdown. <laughs> Y'all remember that? Where two sides refused to just come together. They refused to talk to one another. And we were in day five of a circus. At the heart of this shutdown was a fundamental disagreement about economics, a fundamental disagreement about how our household of the United States should function. You know, the word economics just means household, right? And so at the heart of this debate, the right and the left, after arguing about how this household called the United States could function, got stuck in this thing called entitlement. Of course, this is a charitable read of the situation. There are other alternatives. There was political posturing and moves for power. And of course, those were there. There's always that stuff there. But at, but at its heart, charitably, each side just thought that their economic plan could lead us to the greatest good. But there is a fundamental difference in what they think the practices are that lead us to this greatest good. And at the heart of that disagreement, if you can just hang with me and follow it, the thread to the, all the way to the bottom, at the heart of that disagreement is this notion of entitlement. Who is entitled to what? On one side, there's this notion that everyone is entitled to some kind of health care. On the other side, there's this notion that being an American citizen entitles you to um, very little government interference at all in your finances. And every step toward and away from each other sort of hinges on this notion, who is entitled to what? Being an American entitles you to something, right? And so who is entitled to what in America? That's at the heart of every economic discussion. That's the fundamental question that brought the government to a screeching halt just about three years ago now. Forgive the church if we just yawn a bit while we watch the government argue over entitlement. Forgive us if we're just a little bit bored with that conversation. It's... It's not that the implications aren't important. It's not that we think healthcare is not important or it's not that we think economic practices are, aren't important. It's not that at all. It's just that we've seen this before as the church. This just keeps coming up. I mean, you don't have to go into the ancient church history even to find it. Anybody around in 1995, 1996, when the government shut down for about 28 consecutive days? The government came to this screeching halt then, and what was at the heart of that? Entitlement. Who is entitled to what? Before that, in the 80s, the government shut down for the same reason. Who is entitled to what? During Carter's administration, the government shut down then too, and it was all about who is entitled to what. It is the same old boring question that the government keeps choking on and coming down on because the economic machine is fueled by this notion of entitlement. Whatever side you're on, you are for some sort of entitlement. It's the name of this government game. And the church has seen this over and over again. 
Go to ancient history if you want to and look at the Roman Empire. As the empire continued to grow, they began to ask, so what does it mean to be a Roman citizen then? And how do you become a Roman citizen? And they had these two sides. And guess what? There were conservatives and there were liberals and both trying to work together in what they called a democratic senate. And guess what? It started falling down and failing because they couldn't figure out the answer to that question. Who is entitled to what? This question fuels the economy. And when that question runs low and we can't answer it well, the economy just runs out of gas. And the saints have seen this for years and it's kind of just getting old to us. Christians, I'll remind you, have found a way to thrive under every empire, every economic climate, every sort of regime, every single feudal town and every mass globe-trotting empire. Christians have found a way to thrive because we've refused the fundamental question of entitlement. We operate out of a different economy. We call it the divine economy, God's economy. The households of the saints, both their individual households and the collective household called the church, operates out of a different presupposition and practice than the rest of the world. And it all starts with this notion of entitlement. All this month of October, we're exploring what it means to be a part of this divine economy, these politics of God. What are the practices and the beliefs that Christians have lived into to thrive everywhere at every time? Now, when I say the saints have found a way to thrive, I do not mean that the saints have found a way to get rich. There will be denominations and theological heritages that tell you that, that will will perpetuate this idea that faithful people are rich people. Thriving in the divine economy does not mean economic prosperity. It means coming fully alive to what God has called us to be. It means living fully in the ways that God has called us to live. Sometimes there will be plenty, sometimes There will not be much at all. Sometimes we will be made full. Sometimes we will be made empty. And somehow saints have found a way to thrive in that. As Wesley teaches us to pray, let us have all things and let us have nothing. That's the prayer of a Christian. The second thing that's crucial for us to understand is not just that thriving does not mean economic prosperity, but But that when we say divine economy, we are not talking about some kind of new legislation. We cannot legislate the kingdom of God. We are not talking about a new sort of governmental rule or regulating power. I'm not talking about a third party in the United States political system that offers some other political system that is closer in line with the heart of God. I'm not talking about anything like that. This cannot come from Washington. It happens when we as Christians begin to convert our hearts and our communities like this one um, be converted in our practices and in our hearts. It happens at the ground level. It happens despite Washington. Washington can't give us the answers because Washington doesn't have the right question. The only question Washington has is who's entitled to what. And we've already lost the game when we start there. 
And so we're going to have to learn how to thrive while Washington does what Washington does, not to legislate a new party, but to live into the kingdom of God, which is proclaimed and lived in the presence of Jesus Christ right here, right now. And it all starts with throwing out that age-old question of entitlement. Jesus comes in, proclaiming the kingdom of God, and he stands up and he says, Hey, did y'all hear the one about the rich landowner who goes out in the morning at 6 o'clock and finds people to work in his vineyard, and then goes back out at 9 o'clock and finds more people and takes them to the vineyard to work, and then goes back out at lunch and finds a few more and takes them back to the vineyard, goes back out at 3, does the same thing, goes back out at 5, and even gathers up those folks who nobody else wanted, those people too hungover from the day before to get out of bed in time for 3 p.m. even. And the vineyard owner says, sure, I'll use you. Come into my vineyard. After about 45 minutes of good, solid work, the day comes to an end and the landowner gives out the pay. And everybody, everybody gets the same pay. Welcome to the kingdom of God, says Jesus. Welcome to the divine economy, the ones in the back start grumbling because they feel like they are entitled to more, right? I mean, they've worked hard in the sun all day and these folks just got here. Who is entitled to what here? Jesus? And Jesus subverts it and gives us a better question. Not one of entitlement, but of gift, Jesus' question is, what gifts have you received? That's the question of the kingdom of God. That's the fuel of the divine economy. God's economy operates out of the question of gifts, not entitlement. There's a secret that saints of our faith give us. Here it is. Nobody is entitled to anything. Nothing. Your very life is a gift. The breath you just took is a gift. That yawn underneath the breath you just took (laughs) is a gift. Every second, every moment of life is a gift from God. And if you want to live as part of God's household, you'll have to convert from feeling entitled to receiving life as a gift. We all kind of know this intuitively. I've seen it in you. I've seen it in you all as I've gotten to know you better, as you shared some of the intimate places of your life with me and with those in your common table. This weekend, I made two different hospital visitations, and I thought about God's gift. I thought about how in those places where the membrane of life and death gets really thin, we all intuitively begin to receive moments and life as gift. It's like we revert back to our true selves. If you've ever been in the room when someone is given birth or right after someone's given birth, there's this sort of awe that washes over you, just this realization that it's, it's gift, all of it. 
You can't make that happen. In those spaces even where we're on the other end of life and you're with a loved one who is dying, every breath, every moment seems to be a gift. We all know it. We just forget it in the marketplace when we move from giftedness, our true identity, into entitlement. My best friend's mom passed away in her mid-50s when my friend was just 28 years old. And her mom had leukemia and I was there with them at the end as she was dying. And for the last couple of days, they, they wouldn't let her eat. She was just chewing on ice chips every day. Finally, we knew it was time, and so we decided to have communion together. We got to a place where we had the responses of the Great Thanksgiving, the communion liturgy, and, and she just instinctually, instinctively sang the responses. She had been in choir, and she knew them well, and, and there had been weeks without much talking from her without much interaction but when she heard the great thanksgiving when she heard the communion liturgy she sang it was it was like she couldn't help but do it something inside her just wanted to sing her last words that i heard and they could have been there could have been more after it but the last words i heard to her husband, to her daughters, to God, or just thank you. Now at that moment, I would have expected her to be bitter. Of death robbing her, of seeing her grandchildren, of weddings, growing old together with her husband. She had every right. She was entitled to it all. She was entitled to be angry at God and bitter in that moment. But for some reason, she said, thank you. It was like, it's like her household operated out of a different economic reality. She had been shaped to live a life that gives thanks in every moment, in every place. That's a saint living in God's household. That's knowing God's politics. And this requires conversion, folks. Conversion in our hearts and in our practices, that's where it starts. I don't know about you, but I've been told my whole life that if you just put your head down and work hard, you can take this world by storm and you can do whatever you want to do. And that will kill me. By grace, I've been brought into a different way of being, a different posture, which receives every single moment, everything as a gift. And because of that, I can thrive. Because of that, you can thrive. I offer this to you in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen.